College can be expensive, but saving now can help your students save later. Give your child's college savings a boost by registering for a chance at one of 25 $1,000 savings plan deposits for 6th through 12th graders. Sign up today at iowastudentloan.org slash register. Look for the Save Now, Save Later giveaway under the scholarships page. Log on and register today. That's iowastudentloan.org. At Baker's, no matter where you order free pickup, you get the same great deals as you'd get in store. So you can save when you order during band practice or at the dog park or wherever. Start your cart with the Baker's app and save from wherever today. Baker's, fresh for everyone. $35 order minimum restrictions may apply. Subject to availability. And now, shop what you love and save $2 on each participating item when you buy three or more with your card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up! Podcast presented, as always, by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports, powered by... By Overtime Media, I'm your host, Chad Jensen, and with me, as always, is my partner in crime, you know him and love him, is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, not a lot to uh, report as it relates to news for the Denver Broncos, but there was one piece of salient info that came out over the weekend from Mr. Jake Butt, who assures fans he's going to be a full go when training camp rolls around July 18th. Yeah, to hear it from the horse's mouth, he's f- fully recovered from his third ACL injury, and he's raring to go. And, and he said he made an interesting quote. He said, "I'm not used to, in other words, being at the bottom of the depth chart. He's used to being the starter, and he, you know, he had that role, he had that responsibility last year for a few games, and he looked good until the injury. So it's good to see that he battled back. I like his confidence. I like his motivation, the chip on his shoulder, and if he can stay healthy, which is a giant if." He can be a big component of this offense. I just, that's one player, Chad. I got to see it to believe it. Yeah. At this point, because of the injury, the unfortunate just being cursed with that that knee, it is one of those deals where we got to see it. But all things being equal, you take away the injury bug from a pure talent and skill set perspective. He is the number two tight end on this roster. He's the second best tight end. You know, Jeff Hireman, he's got some ability. We've seen him at times flash. Unfortunately, he's also had his bouts with the injury bug and also with consistency. But, you know, if we were just going on talent alone, the depth chart would look something like this. It would be Noah Fant, number one, number two, Jake Butt, number three, probably a toss-up between Fumagalli, Troy Fumagalli, and Jeff Hireman, and then Austin Fort, Bug Howard. That's probably how I'd rank them. Yeah, from a talent standpoint, but I mean, as an all-around player, I like that he's a blocker and a pass catcher. Fan, obviously, you know, his, his upside is off the charts. And I agree with you. If I had a, a gun in my head, though, the upside, I like Fumagalli better than Hireman. I'm not a huge Hireman guy. He can be a, a template starter right now, a holdover, a, a bridge guy. But from an upside standpoint, all things being equal, and it's not obviously, but if all players were healthy, yeah, but Bud is definitely number two tight end on this roster behind Fan. And if he can stay healthy and reclaim that, uh, that talent and ability that he had coming out of college, 
he can really find himself pushing for starting reps because they're going to make Fant work for it. They're not going to hand him any job. I just don't understand, and I I get your skepticism of Jeff Hireman. I just don't understand why he has struggled so hard to be consistent because there have been times when I say he's flashed, like there have been times he looks like a dominant beast out there. Like, mm-hmm. And granted, some of those times have come during preseason action where it's an exhibition game and it doesn't count. And really that was the first time last summer, in fact, last August, that we saw him kind of emerge and show those flashes where he was just trucking dudes and stiff-arming guys to the ground, picking up extra yards. And you're like, whoa. Where has this guy been since 2015? Oh, on injured reserve. That's right. <laughs> you know, half the time. And then, of course, he goes into the season with basically competing with Jake Butt for the number one reps. And then Jake Butt goes down, and it becomes the Jeff Hireman show. And there were flashes again. But week nine against the Houston Texans, whatever it was, he hauled in like 10 balls. He scored a touchdown, if, I, if I'm remembering right off the top of my head. But that showed you kind of the top of the mountain for Jeff Hireman, what's possible. But the reality is the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And going off that maxim, it's hard to count on us seeing that kind of a week nine Jeff Hireman on a consistent game-to-game basis. I think the biggest glimpse of Hireman's upside came a couple years ago in that Thursday night game, I believe, against the Colts when he had that big seam-busting touchdown. I I think it was Osweiler starting. And that is what Hireman can be at his best. He doesn't have the pass-catching upside of Noah Fant or maybe even of uh, Troy Fumagalli, but he can be that that seam-breaking player, and he can be a weapon for Joe Flacco. I just, you know, you nailed it. He, you have to stay consistent in the NFL and reliable, and he's neither from a production standpoint or from an injury standpoint. And there was a game last year, Chad, that we talked about. I forget which game it was, but he got out-muscled for a, a jump ball in, in coverage. It was a smaller corner, just owned him, and, and it just it showed his lack of aggression, his lack of wanting it. And if Butt can bring that to the table, it would not surprise me at all if they can leapfrog him, and it'll be, you know, fan and then Butt, and then Hireman falls in danger of uh, being number four behind Troy Fumagalli. It's quite the uh, deviation from last year. Yeah, and that's one of the big things, like, Eric Trickle is always hammering on Jeff Hireman for the alligator arms. Like, you yeah. look at his size, you look at his measurables and his skill set, and even his mentality. You know, he comes off as an alpha. Why is he short-arming passes? Why is he not using his body to box out defenders and out-muscle guys for the ball and high-point it? And, you know, he just he falls short of the mark, what you would expect, and Trickle's been hammering on that since basically 2016. Actually, before that, because he was drafted in 2015 and Trickle's been talking about that since basically going over his college film from Ohio State, which, you know, we're kind of going down a rabbit hole with regard to Jeff Hireman. He was a third round pick though of the Broncos. So I think more than anything, his flashes from last year combined with his third round draft pedigree is why the Broncos basically decided to bring him back on a relatively team friendly short term deal. Yeah, that two-year deal, it's more like a one-year contract. So its this is his final chance, I think, in Denver with a new coach, a new tight ends coach, and, and the opportunity here to, if not start, then at least see significant reps. I, this is his final shot. To me, it's hard to throw around the B word, the bust, for someone who's been kind of productive, but for a third-round pick, you want to see more from him. He's been too ineffective, too injury-prone. So um, if he can make it count this year with a quarterback who loves tight ends— He'll, he'll see his second year of that contract. But if not, uh, they'll move forward with what they have on the roster. Yeah, but here, who knows? Here's to hopefully seeing Jake Butt, getting back to the reason we even started talking about tight end. <laughs> Here's to hoping that what he's saying is right and going back to that 
interview he had on Denver radio, I think it was in March, where he talked about the surgeons figuring out that the notches in his knees where the tendons connect and all that, that they were able to widen them and all that. Hopefully that pays dividends and this pesky injury bug, he can keep it at bay for once. And if so, I think great things are in store for him and the Broncos offense. But today we are going to dive into a an article basically that we published over the weekend, five unanswered questions of the Denver Broncos in 2019. These are five questions the Broncos have to answer. And if they answer them correctly, when it's all said and done, it's going to lead to good things. It's going to lead to a team returning to a semblance of competitive, you know, uh, pride. But first, before we dive into that, a couple of quick matters of business reminding you, make sure you're following the show on Twitter at HuddleUpPod because that's the best way for you to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the show in real time, especially in the dead season right now where our schedules might be shifting a little bit. That's where we're, you're going to hear the news first. If anything changes, if we put out call-outs for mailbags or anything like that, so make sure you're following the show on Twitter. If you are on iTunes, we appreciate it. You give us that five-star rating, leave a creative review. And our YouTube listeners, our awesome community there on YouTube, keep doing what you're doing, commenting, liking, engaging with the show. We really appreciate you guys. All right, Zach, let's dive into this article published by yours truly here. Five unanswered questions facing the Broncos in 2019. It did okay over the weekend. Uh, got picked up by Bleacher Report. So we assume that our listeners will want to hear about this. And it's, these aren't topics we haven't talked about before on the show. But let me let me start with the first one here. Zach, what version, here's question one, what version of Joe Flacco will the Broncos get? Are they going to get the Joe Flacco basically of the three preceding seasons before this last year? I mean, because he actually played well before he went down with that, that hip injury last year. He was playing very well. He was on pace to have a career year, frankly, from a statistical perspective. Not quite. Not quite from a touchdown perspective, but yardage. He was on pace to toss 4,300 yards, 21 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and he had the hip. Are we going to get that version of Flacco? Are we going to get the 2014 version under Gary Kubiak? Or are we going to get the you know, 2015 through 2017 version of Joe Flacco? Or maybe even one that I argue heretofore we have never seen from Flacco, a Pro Bowl caliber, you know, top 15 quarterback level Joe Flacco. Uh, with respect to the rest of your list, Chad, I don't want to give anything away, but with other than the coaching staff, this is the biggest question. This this question will make or break the Broncos' season. It will separate them from a middling team, a seven and nine, eight and eight team, to a possible playoff contender, a double digit win season. Whether we're going to see the old Flacco or the new Flacco, quote unquote new, I think we're going to see a guy in the middle, a, guy, a consistent above average, good enough to win with, better than the Broncos had in recent years. And it might not be sexy. I don't think he'll make the Pro Bowl and he won't garner much headlines, but he'll do enough for the Broncos to win. And if he can be just consistent, like I say, and I know fans don't want to hear it. They want a uh, star quarterback under center. I, I just, I'm skeptical that you'll see that with Joe Flacco. But if he can be consistent, combined with this defense and the coaching staff and the running game, they can be a playoff team. But this question, Chad, is the number one by far. It will make or break the Broncos this year. Yeah, there's there's one thing to keep in mind, too, that actually makes me optimistic t- about Joe Flacco is his record against the Denver Broncos teams, the, the foes in the AFC West, the division rivals. He's got a winning record versus the other AFC West teams. So this doesn't count his record going head-to-head against the Broncos back when he was with the Ravens. All time versus the rest of the AFC West, so the Chiefs, Raiders, and Chargers, Joe Flacco's 9-4. and four. 
Now, granted, a lot of that record, that resume, was before Patrick Mahomes entered the fray, but he's outdueled Philip Rivers more often than not. So, I don't know. There's there's some reasons to believe, some reasons for optimism. We'll get more into it as we get through these questions. That Joe Flacco is at least in a prime position to have a career type of year, even you know, even um, or I should say, despite the fact that he's going to be in a new environment, new teammates, new coaching staff, and all that upheaval that more often than not for NFL players, you know, it takes him a year or two to kind of settle into a new environment, especially for quarterbacks. Yep. But Peyton Manning, now granted, he's an all-timer. He's a top-five quarterback in the history of the league. He kind of set the new standard, and maybe you look at it as an outlier, but the way he was able to perform in his first year after being in Indianapolis for 14 years, then to come to Denver, started 2-3 and three that year in 2012. And the naysayers were out there, oh, he's lost his step. Look, he's not going to be able to overcome those those neck surgeries. And then, of course, that phenomenal comeback on Monday Night Football against the Chargers at the time. And then they went on to run 11 straight, get the AFC's one seed, go into the playoffs with a first-round bye, and Joe Flacco rolls in and upsets them. And, you know, it's a quick aside, but that was probably that team, the 2012 Broncos, even though they ended up winning it all in 2015 and went to the Super Bowl in 2013 and lost, that 2012 team, Zach, was probably the best team Elway assembled around Peyton Manning. And, and yeah, and with respect to Joe Flacco, on paper, he does have that, of course. He has that, the leadership, he has the experience, he has a good record against the AFC West. He comes through in the clutch. If they can just coax that out of him for 16 games, then sneak into the playoffs, and then hopefully Joe Cool click, kicks in, uh, then you have something there. I, I don't know that, you know, obviously he's not going to be Peyton Manning, and they can't hope or expect that to be, even though they think he's entering his prime, Joe Flacco. But again, just someone who's in between what we've seen last year and what we saw years ago. Just a consistent guy with a big arm who can make enough plays on offense and move the ball down the field and score points. If they can do that, it will make their season, as opposed to breaking it. All right, let's jump into we'll, – we'll be talking more about Flacco as we dive through these questions, but let's get to number two here. And that is basically what – how will Rich Scangarello perform handling play-calling duties for the first time as an NFL offensive coordinator? Now, if you look at his resume, I'm trying to think back to where he called – Offensive coordinator Millsaps, offensive coordinator Northern Arizona, Wagner, he was offensive coordinator. So at the college level, he's he's called plays. At the NFL level, he went from being a, a quality control guy with the Atlanta Falcons to being the quarterback's coach in San Francisco under Kyle Shanahan. We've never really seen him perform in that, you know, in that sphere. So that's a big aspect, obviously, of being an offensive coordinator is not only game planning and designing and all that is from, you know, building your playbook and then teaching it to your players and all that. I mean, th- there's questions that come with that. However, his his uh, history as a teacher, I'm not too worried about that aspect of it. What I am concerned about is the fact that we have no real um, resume as an NFL play caller to go off in terms of projecting right. what to expect in 2019. Yeah, Chad, this is a really great point. And a lot of Broncos fans were so happy to see Bill Musgrave gone and a, an evolving offense come in. But it's true. I mean, he's a young guy in the NFL and the NFL realm. He's never called plays at this level. He's kind of just leaned on Kyle Shanahan for a couple years and rested on his laurels. 
upside wise, you know, they have what the Broncos are moving toward the future of the NFL. They have a guy in place who they can build around. Um, on its face, it's a little worrisome. It's a lot of responsibility. It's a high-pressure environment with a quarterback who is coming off a down season, always feeling the pressure. On its face, it's kind of scary, but the Broncos were very smart to bring in Mike Munchak, who has head coaching experience. He's also kind of helping with the playbook of run-heavy playbook and helping with the offensive line schemes. And then they have Vic Fangio, who's kind of giving his input on the offense too. Scangarello has talked about it a couple times now. He's not going to take over. He's not going to be Bill Walsh and reinvent the offense, but he's going to kind of keep Scangarello in check. He's going to walk over to him and say, uh, I don't want to call this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Let's not do that again. They're going to grow together, but they have those stable influences. Two old school guys in Fangio and Munchak who can keep the younger guy in check and they can kind of uh, you know, mentor him on the job as it goes along. You know, one of the biggest aspects of being a play caller, being an effective play caller is, and especially learning from Kyle Shanahan that he kind of grew up under his seeing his how his father operated as a head coach and an OC Shanahan just like Kubiak he taught that to Kubiak and this was something that actually goes back to Bill Walsh they script the first 15 plays usually of the game I'm curious to see whether or not that's something that's that's also going to rub off on Scangarello there are pros and there are cons to scripting you know, if if you're going solely based off your script, you're basically designing your first 15 plays around the weaknesses of your opponent, and you're hoping to really step on their, their necks out of the gates type deal. However, after that, it comes down to what you're seeing on from, you know, up high, what you're hearing in the headset from your guys in the booth, the cut-ups you see on the sideline in between uh, possessions and all that, and then comes down to your gut and your knack for being able to, in the moment, make those play calls. And I'm just curious in that sense, how Scangarello is going to, going to perform. Yeah, it's a valid question, but it's only going to come with experience. The more he does it, the more he has a feel for it, the better he'll be. And it's a good thing. The Broncos have five preseason games. Then he can work out some of the kinks before the regular season starts and hopefully have more feel for it. But yeah, it's a big question, and he has to prove himself too, not just Joe Flacco from the, the coaching staff down. It's a whole new operation, Chad. And that's why there's so much um, skepticism about the offense, not necessarily the defense. And that's why when it comes to making or breaking, a lot of these questions are based around the offense for a reason. All right, let's get to question number three here. Pretty simple. Will the offensive line stay healthy? Because the Broncos have upgraded that unit in more ways than one. From a personnel perspective, you add Jawan James, you add Dalton Reisner, you're getting Ronald Leary back. Those are all three big pluses. And then from a coaching perspective, you get Mike Munchak and you get Chris Cooper. So on paper, it's a phenomenal step forward. I mean, it's a monumental step forward. But can they stay healthy? Obviously, Ronald Larry is a big question mark from the health perspective. Jawan James didn't quiet any of the misgivings in the fan base when he was held out of some OTA practices because of a tweak in, uh, I think it was his hamstring, if I or might have been a hip. I can't remember now off the top of my head. But, you know, you got to worry a little bit. If that were a regular season, you know, practice in between games, he's probably not being held out. And he's probably not missing time. But you got to worry about that unit staying healthy. If they do stay healthy... I think there's reason to, to believe that this can be a top 15, maybe even a top 10 offensive line. Yep. 
Yeah, I, I think so too. If, if they all stay healthy, which is another big if, uh, with the coaching and the and the sheer talent they have on that front five, yeah, I think they could be top ten. Maybe not Dallas Cowboys this year, but they can turn a longtime weakness into a major strength for this offense and getting the running game going, protecting Joe Flacco. That's going to be huge. The only other worry, aside from James and uh, Leary, is Bowles. He hasn't missed time, but you know he's kind of been dinged up the last couple of years. He got carted off and he had that ankle. He's been kind of shaky too. So. It's the injury bug is going to have to go their way. They're going to have to get some good fortune. But if they do, and with Mike Munchak's presence, this line stays healthy. They're going to be nasty. All right, we got two more we're going to get to here. First, we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, Zach, let's get to question number four. Will Vic Fangio succeed in transitioning to play calling from the sidelines. Now, he's got 19 years of calling games as a defensive coordinator in the NFL, 19 years. 18 of those years have been in the booth. Only one year did Vic Fangio try calling plays from the sideline. He's much more comfortable. He's much more confident from the booth. But obviously, as a head coach, you can't. you got to be on the sideline for obvious and self-evident reasons. Similarly to, though, Zach, the issue with Scangarello ironing out kinks as a play caller, as a first-time offensive coordinator – one of the silver linings here is that Vic Fangio is going to get five preseason games to figure out the best way, whether it's keeping Ed Donatel up there in the booth, yep. you know, to kind of be his eyes or however they end up figuring it out to kind of develop that knack from the sideline. That was exactly my point. He, if he's smart, which he is, he'll have Donatel up there or Brandon Staley, someone he trusts and he brought over from Chicago. He'll have a set of eyes up there in the sky. But I'm not too worried about the transition. Just as long as the Broncos have Fangio and his defensive mastermind and his ability, uh, they'll be okay. I, I don't foresee any problems there. Maybe in the first game it'll feel weird for him, but come the regular season, um, it should be old hat to Vic Fangio. Yeah, my bet in terms of the way it ends up shaking out, is I think the defensive coordinator, Ed Donatel, will end up yep. being the eyes in the sky. Agreed. And I think that's just the best way to do it. Ed Donatel has the most experience in terms of being with Vic Fangio and probably, maybe aside from Bill Kalar, the most experience in the NFL as a, an assistant, as a coach, besides Vic Fangio. So he's a guy you might want to have up there, knows your tendencies, knows what you like, knows how you want to attack, You know, knows what your weaknesses are as a unit, how to scheme, how to protect against that. And also, don't forget, he's a former defensive backs coach, so seeing that all-22 vantage point from up in the booth, that could serve him well. Also, you know, he's the defensive coordinator by title only, so let him earn his paycheck up there on the booth and let him radio down a big fan, Joe. I think that setup uh, will be ideal. I think that will happen also. All right, let's get to question five, and we can kind of sink our teeth into this one a little bit and settle in. Can the young skill position players take the next step now here's what's interesting yes you got guys like philip Lindsay, Cortland sutton royce freeman deshaun hamilton entering year two you got noah fant entering his rookie year his first year in the nfl troy fumagalli really playing in his first year but that quartet of skill players that were on the team last year Lindsay sutton freeman hamilton here's an interesting stat that not a lot of fans are aware of that quartet combined for 2,817 yards from scrimmage in 2018. That total represents the most yards by a rookie quartet in NFL history. So that's a good baseline with which to kind of operate. It's another reason why I've said on this podcast multiple times that Joe Flacco arguably is entering the most, uh, as far as a 
a supporting cast of skill players, the most talent he's ever had as a quarterback. I think that can be argued. But can that group, I mean, last year was awesome. It was, you know, it set a new precedent as far as rookie quartets contributing yards from scrimmage. But can they take the next step in, in year two? You know, it's the NFL. There's no absolutes. Nothing's in a vacuum. Some of the Broncos players you think will take the next step will. Some won't. And some players will just come from nowhere, like someone like Jake Button, have a great season and that you didn't see coming. Um, among the group, you know, one of the receivers, I think it'll be Cortland Sutton. He'll break out. One of the tight ends, hopefully it's Noah Fant. Uh, you know, Flacco, that's the question there. But, you know, you're going to see a mix and match. They're all, it's not going to be perfect. It's going to be some bumps and bruises. It's going to be some hiccups. And you're going to see some players step up you're gonna see some players regress it's just the way the nfl goes but if they can just get their key players that's sanders flacco Lindsay, and one of the tight ends going and have a good offensive line that's the best i think fans can hope for and you know scangarello's you know adapting to that role they can just hope for consistency something that we haven't seen since peyton manning it's just i think that's what broncos fans would want at a minimum they can feel good about that if some of these players can progress and develop. That's why this season's not really defined by the playoffs. It doesn't define success. If they just progress and develop and you see um, signs of, of glimpse and hopes for the future, that I think is, is, a, is a good sign for Vic Fangio in year one. I just think about the kind of hay Peyton Manning could make. You know, if you take even circa 2014 Peyton Manning and give him this, this supporting cast, which includes... Emmanuel Sanders, it includes Troy Fumagalli, includes Noah Fant, Jake Butt. This supporting cast, I mean, in 2014, I think with Peyton Manning at the helm, you're seeing them push once again for offensive records, point scoring, touchdowns, all that. Now, Joe Flacco, obviously, he's not Peyton Manning, but he is a experienced and, you know, he's a very winning quarterback. He's been in some big games, some huge yeah. situations. He's won a lot of games. I mean, he's won seven road playoff games. He's defeated Manning on the road. He's defeated Brady on the road. He's defeated Roethlisberger on the road. So I think there's, you know, it's hard to get too excited and geeked up about Joe Flacco just because, you know, from an individual accolade perspective, he's he hasn't really achieved that much. But we've talked about in the past on this show kind of the team that always surrounded him, the philosophy of the Baltimore Ravens, their whole thing was build a great defense and run the ball. Now, that's probably the core philosophy of what's also going to be taking shape here in Denver. But I think because of the talent on offense and the X factor obviously being Rich Gangarello, there's a chance this offense could be much more dynamic and prolific than we've ever seen from a Joe Flacco quarterback offense. This I will concede. On paper, theoretically, hypothetically, whatever you want to say, this is the most explosive Broncos offense since Peyton Manning in probably 2014. But I think it's it's the sum of all, of all of its parts. It's not going to be based around Joe Flacco. That's going to be the major difference between a Flacco offense and a Manning offense. He's not going to be the thing that makes it go. They're going to lean on the running game, like, like you said, lean on their defense, lean on good coaching, and then use Flacco as a complementary piece when you want to open up the ball downfield, when you want to score some more points, when you want to take to the air. He's good for that situation, but if they put too much on his arm, too much on his shoulder, it, it's not going to be a good scenario. They really have to come together and have an offensive philosophy that's truly balanced. Then I think you can see all those different pieces kind of do their own part. part. All the you know pull their own weight. The receivers, the tight ends, the running backs, and then Joe Flacco was just that cherry on top. If they can keep that in place, Chad, yeah, uh, this offense has uh, is is limitless. It's top ten upside if they can all you know the stars align. 
it's going to be so fun to see how it all takes shape in 2019. And we're inching ever closer to training camp and the beginnings of of this new Broncos team. I think uh, I saw on Twitter today that the Hall of Fame game is 39 days away. Mm, it's fast. Coming. It's coming. So stand pat, hold tight, keep a stiff upper lip. It's coming. We're going to be continuing to bring you daily podcasts. This week, though, we might miss one day in the middle of the week. We'll see how the schedule shakes up. We'll we'll talk more about that tomorrow, though. We'll know a little bit more certain, uh, with more certainty tomorrow, how the rest of the week is going to shape up. But that's going to do it for today's episode of the Huddle Up Podcast. Again, make sure you're following us on Twitter, at Huddle Up Pod. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman247. Myself, at Chad N. Jensen. Don't forget to leave a creative review and five-star rating if you're on iTunes. YouTube listeners, keep doing your thing. We'll talk to you on, on uh, Tuesday's show. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. Talk to you then. You've been listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.